Uh, so today we're, I'm going to be talking about um, uh, kind of uh, our call to love South Campus. Uh, well, we often think of the UW, and I'm, we're specifically talking about our neighbors here, which is the people to our west, the students who live in what's lovingly known as the sophomore slums, or um, to the north here, which are the southeast dorms on campus, all right? Uh, so, but I want to start with this story some of you have heard before, but I think it's relevant. It's my story of encountering God's love on campus. Um, so I was a college student a long time ago. I don't want to say how long, um, but I still remember some things really distinctly about that time. I remember how hard I had to study for an exam. felt like I had to study twice as hard as anybody else did. Um, maybe I wasn't alone. Maybe everyone else felt that way as well. I remember how much I liked the freedom I have with no parental oversight, making decisions for myself, no one telling me when to go to bed or, or staying up late wondering wh why I didn't come home, right? Um, I remember some of the crazy things I did, like uh, getting some of my friends to grab another friend's couch, taking it up on the roof, lighting it on fire, and then throwing it over the edge. <laughs> so those kinds of things stick in your mind, right? You remember those about college. Uh, that, by the way, I lived in a dorm called McNutt. It was lovingly known by the students as the Nut House. There's more to it than that, but I won't go into a long explanation. It was the way it was designed. It actually made people go crazy. Um, yeah, they, they actually they designed it so you wouldn't be facing any rooms. So you, it was just like they thought it would, and the person who designed it actually designed prisons for a living. Who, was, who, who, thought, who thought that up? I have no idea. Um, I remember, too, how much time I spent pursuing relationships and how many poor decisions I made dating. I remember how often I felt ashamed and embarrassed because of the things I did, the people I hurt, um, and yet how I kept pursuing those relationships anyway. And I, I remember how I never wanted my parents to find out anything about the dating relationships I was in or the couch right, situation. <laughs> or anything else that happened at college which they were largely paying for. But I also remember how far I felt from God during that whole time. Um, and so one of the clearest memories I have was my, my fourth year on campus, driving back to the apartments. It was a spring night, and I remember looking up at the stars. I'd been on a date, felt really terrible about what had happened. I remember looking up at the sky and thinking, at that moment, this weird reality hit me. God is as far away from me as the stars are in the heavens, and I have no idea how I'm ever going to reconnect with him. So now, one thing I know, having worked with college students here at the UW for over 20 years, is there are students who feel now like I did back then, right? Um, who maybe grew up knowing God, uh, or at least about him, and find themselves far away with no idea how to kind of bridge that gap. Now, some don't want to know God anymore and don't really care, and, and, uh, but others do and have no idea how. Um, and still there are others uh, who have never really um, known, experienced, encountered the love of God before, and I think that what they're seeking after, and we would all say, is that very thing, that thing they're missing in their life, that feeling of dissatisfaction, that longing and desire that nothing else is filling is only something God can fill. Um, and so the question for us is this small church right on the corner of campus is how can we help students here at the UW-Madison kind of experience like, and know the love of God? What, what's our call? What is God calling us to in this season? 
And that's what I've been asked to speak on today. Um, now, there are a few guests here. Mainly Adele brought some friends along. Um, we've been, we're in the midst of a series called Faith, Hope, and Love uh, for the Neighborhood. And we're in this really weird place, just for the friends that are here so you know it. Uh, it we don't really, we kind of sit on the border of three neighborhoods. We sit on the border of, the, of South Campus, the one that I'm going to be talking about, to the, to the west and to the east. We sit on the border of the Triangle, which includes the hospital, uh, four um, uh, government-subsidized uh, housing uh, projects, and, a, and then a non-for-profit gov- uh, organization or housing project as well. Um, and that's called the Triangle. And then we also, uh, to the southwest of us uh, and to farther south of us here, uh, are three neighborhoods that kind of encompass District 8. One's called Greenbush, which is probably well-known by UW students, Vilas, and Bay Creek, where Doug Anderson actually lives, right? Um, and these, these uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the triangle is made up of a diverse community of people um, who are, you know, um, elderly, um, some disabled, lo- some low-income uh, families, right? Uh, very diverse. Um, the, the, the same with the neighborhoods, right? Mostly... Um, a lot of rental properties there, some apartments, and then some single-family homes as well, and duplexes and things like that. Um, and then South Campus, which is uh, the home of like 4,000 college students. The Southeast dorms are primarily freshmen, uh, but this, and then we call it the sophomore slums, but I'm sure there are more than just sophomores that live across the street over here. Um, so we sit in this place kind of in, be- in between all of these places, and we've had for as long as we've been here, this sense that God has called us here in order to reach these people. And even more recently, this, this uh, I don't know if we call it an unction, this movement of the Holy Spirit saying, you, you are a neighborhood church. You need to figure out what that means and how to live it out, right? So that's what we've been kind of exploring together. And so we talked about faith. And in faith, we were, we were looking at the question, what do we need faith for in, this na- in, the, in the neighborhood? And I would say on campus, it's it's for some of the obstacles that stand in the way of students get, getting to really know God. And, um, you know, it could be social media. It could be um, the postmodernism and a lot of the philosophies that are out there. Probably one of the biggest, though, is just the enormous amount of anxiety and depression that students today struggle with. Uh, it seems like it'd be a wide-open invitation for them to want God, and it also becomes a barrier for them to be able to encounter him. Um, you know, and, and so that, we need faith. We also need faith to know that God can use us, right? As a congregation, a lot of us are older um, and wondering how we can, we can use the term again, bridge that gap between them and us, right, and reach out. Um, we also talked about hope, right? Hope is what are the opportunities God is presenting to us? Where are we finding hope? And, and this semester, and, and we'll have a testimony a little bit later, and the, and the semester before, one of the things that we did as a church was we opened our space up to the student orgs. We've done that before, but this, this year we've had more students use this space than ever before. And it was primarily because they couldn't do anything on campus. Campus was shut down for, for large group meetings. So Chi Alpha, Crew, InterVarsity all used our space for meetings. Um, and, and you may, these, this is a, a building of relationships that becomes an opportunity for us to show God's love to them and also a way that we did it. And there are other things that are happening. I'm, I saw it happen on campus. I don't know what's happened in the other campus ministries, but in InterVarsity, we saw more freshmen in this past year than ever before 
seeking and longing for community and getting ended up getting connected with our ministry. And we're really thankful for that, right? Because that's a foundation that then we we can build on. There's a community that we can develop out of that out of that group. Um, and then today, of course, we're talking about how does God want us to kind of uh, what doors is he opening up? What is he, how does he want us to walk through it? I, I don't have direct answers for you. We're going to be um, talking and praying. I'm going to give my, my perspective, uh, my 20-plus year perspective on what I think would be helpful for students. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and, and look at this as a possibility of what, what might look for us to love, love the campus as a, as a small kind of weird church, right, uh, in the middle of Madison. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, true confession, as I was putting this together, uh, I, I started to think like, what, are we out of our mind? I mean, no, you think about it. You know, we, we've always thought about our, ourselves as being a neighborhood church, but, but we've often mostly focused on building a church that we're all comfortable with, right? A church that we want to come to and be a part of. And now we're talking about actually trying to like, take more steps to make to make this body a community that brings God's presence, not just into the space, but to the neighbor around us. And, and it'd be a big challenge if we just had one community to reach, a small. Well, we're talking about reaching three enormous communities with this tiny little church. And what hit me as I was doing it was this truth that God was speaking to me. This isn't about us, it's about God. And, and if we really believe, and, I, and we do as leaders believe that this is something God is doing that we're going to faithfully walk this out, uh, even if it's not com- fulfilled in our time, right? If it's not fulfilled for us. Um, that God will provide all we need in Christ Jesus to do what he calls us to in the midst of all this. So let's go ahead and look um, at First Thessalon- Thessalonians. Hard not to lisp that. Thessalonians chapter 2 um, and this is verse 7, and I, 7 through 12. And by the way, I, I chose this because as I was thinking about this message, this verse, verse 8, keep, kept coming to my mind. The verse is, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Now, I don't remember where I first heard that. I don't remember the first time I ever heard someone teach about that, but this is what uh, I think is most important if you want to share the love of God, right? Sharing not just the good news, but giving people an opportunity to experience that love, God's good news through us in a relationship together, right? And that's kind of what we're called to do, and that's what we're looking at doing together. So let's go ahead and kind of read through First Thessalonians 2, and then I'll try my best. This isn't necessarily my strength to do a kind of verse, there are two main points I want to make, but to kind of bring something out of this passage that I, I think is really relevant for us today. So, so starting with 7b. So, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship we work night and day in order to be a burden, not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are a witness, your witnesses, and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among his own, um, 
among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So I want to point out two things from this passage that jumped out at me. And there may be other things that jumped out at you. And I think once we switch back to the non-live version, we'll do more interactive like I like to. Um, but this is going to be more me just kind of telling you what I, what I see. And you can, you can disagree if you want to. And Doug, you can just tell me if I'm wrong. That's okay. Um, and, uh, and, we'll, and if you have any questions, you can, you can stop me. That's fine too. But we're, we're going to kind of go through this. The, the first is, the, is he uses this, this picture of loving the Thessalonians like a mother and a father loves their children. Right? And that's, a, that's probably like as if you, if you are a parent or even a child that has really loving parents, um, it's, it's one of the deepest like love connections that a person has is with your children, whether they're biological or adopted. You know, they're precious to you. They're important. They really matter. Um, and, and he goes beyond that. He, he starts off with this, with this picture in verse, in verse 7. He says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, we cared for you. Um, what kind of picture does that paint for you in your head when you think about it? Right? There, are, there really are very few pictures that, um, uh, that better illustrate nurture than a, that of a mother nursing her child. Right? That's, it's a beautiful picture, you know. Even when you see pictures of it, you can't help but just, just kind of go, ah, you know, that's beautiful. That's a wonderful thing. And you see the mother giving life to the child and the child receiving it and the interaction that happens between the two of them. Um, and, and you know, reading this, that Paul's and Titus and Timothy's relationship with the Thessalonians must have been really deep, right? It must have been tremendous because I can't imagine anybody saying this to me without me feeling kind of weird, right? Now, 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 um, I'd be, I mean, uh, I would be in, a bit intimidated if Dave Day, Dave, I know he's probably listening to this, <laughs> said to me, I loved you like a nursing mother, you know, cares for her children. I'd be like, that's nice, Dave. <laughs> but Dave's British, so he wouldn't say anything like that. That'd be totally inappropriate, right? And, and it'd be even weirder for us to say that to a college student, right? Uh, it's just, but, I, but, it, but it's a picture that really symbolizes the, the, the deep intimacy in their relationship, and it's an absolutely beautiful picture, and I wish we had the kind of relationships where we could say that to each other and not be weirded out by it, you know? Like, that's how much I love you. I, I love you that much. You know, I'm willing to give, I give myself of you regularly. I want to nurture. That's the a most beautiful picture of nurturing. You know, I, I shared um, with you some time ago that at one time I was doing prayer ministry when God gave me an image like that, right? I was, I was praying because I was, I was struggling with this idea of God being nurturing, specifically Holy Spirit being nurturing. And the person who was leading me in this prayer was a prayer ministry session, had me renounce the lie that God wasn't nurturing. I was, that was fine for e and easy for me to do. And then she said, now, now say, Lord, show me the truth. So I said, Lord, show me the truth, right? And suddenly this image jumped in my head. And I, and, it, and I jumped out of my, my seat and started running around going, what's going on? What's going on? And it was really funny. I mean, I was so shocked by it because what I saw was a large breast coming toward me. Like I was a baby about to breastfeed. Now that's super weird, right? 
Any, anybody else, if you had that image, you'd be weirded out too. Like, what? Um, and the woman who's praying for me, I didn't say anything, said, oh, the many-breasted one. And I was stuck. I was dumbstruck. I said, what? How did you know? That was stupid, right? I mean, I know how she knew. God told her. In that moment, he told her, this is the image he had. And, and by the way, so just so you know, and again, I'll, I've told you this before, yeah, El Shaddai, right? We often think about as, uh, not as God Almighty, but some people, and especially, I don't know if this is true for Jewish people. Jewish people don't translate the word Shaddai as Almighty One. They translate it as breast or from the breast um, because it comes from a different word, a different root word. And if you look at it that way, it, it's, instead of becoming all, all, you know, almighty, it becomes all-sufficient one, all-sufficient provider, the one who gives us everything we need, the one who provides for us everything. That's who nurtures us deeply, right? With all we need, not just, not just physical, but spiritual as well. And, and so this is, a, again, this is a beautiful image, even an image that I think if, if it was true in their culture, they would have all recognized this isn't just an image of, of Paul, Titus, and Timothy. This is an image of God right? This is God nurturing them through Paul, Titus, and Timothy. I also think it's interesting, we would be weirded out, especially if a guy used a term like this, but they weren't afraid to say that, right? Because this wasn't about men or women. This wasn't about gender roles. This was, again, about the uh, idea of the one who provides. And even God himself, and if El Shaddai means many-breasted one, was also willing to um, be in the image in that sense of, uh, of one who provides nourishing milk or, or a mother, right? Um, so I won't go too much into that, but you see again that, that, that image. And then he goes on, if you go to verse 11, jump to verse 11, um, he uses this time the image of father, right? For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Verse 12, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So, so besides, besides parentally nurturing and, and providing Paul, you know, Titus and Timothy, they also encouraged, comforted, uh, and urged the Thessalonians to become all who God created them to be, right? That's amazing. They were like, we want you to be who God made you to be. We're going to do everything we can in order to make that possible, right? And I, I think about that, like, again, like a good father or a good mother, what do they do? They want their children to become who God created them to be. Now, let me tell you, it's a lot easier to breastfeed a grumpy child than it is to tell a teen what to do. You know what I'm talking about, right? So I'm looking right at my daughter when I say that. <laughs> um, but it doesn't mean that the, that the reality changes any for us in this in our love for them, we have to be willing to continue to do this even when they push back and aren't excited about your vision for their lives. Even if you know it's from God, right? You know your vision for your children is from God, right? <laughs> so I, I, I say this because, because again, again, what they're doing is they're, they're giving an image not only of their love for the Thessalonians, but God's love. And how God is through them loving the, Th the Thessalonians. That's why it's a picture of a mother and the picture of a father, right? So it's very important. Um, you know, I, I, again, I've shared this too. My, in my own experience growing up, I had a very loving mother and father, but my dad was not big with words. And, and words are important. Words are really important. And so for most of my life, I, I always felt like he was disappointed in me. I remember, though, once... Uh, you know, I was already at a point where 
right? And we, and, we, and we were going into ministry. And so finally, I just confronted him and said, Dad, are you proud of me? And he said, why are you asking me this question? Of course I'm proud of you. And I said, you never tell me, right? So then he went to the dinner party we had, and he got up in front of everyone and said, I just want you to know that I'm proud of my son. <laughs> the very thing my children tell me constantly not to do because it embarrasses them to death. So I personally experienced that. But it was a reminder of like this uh, for me as a father to constantly tell my children that I'm proud of them. And I think this was Paul and, 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 and Timothy and Titus. They were, they were saying, we're proud of you, of who you're becoming, of who you are, of the way you're living your lives. And we have great things we want to see happen. And again, it was God speaking through them, right? Blessing and nurturing the role of parents or even a discipler on campus, right? When I think about... Um, what it means to, to work with college students, uh, that this is the same thing I want for the students and staff I work with. Now, I never say to my staff, I love you like a nursing mother loves her child. That would be so inappropriate, I'd probably get fired. But, um, but I do, but I can tell you this, um, they know that I love them. They do. And I do, I've had staff, and I have one who left recently, who, uh, who actually said, you're kind of like a dad to me. That really, that really touched me. It wasn't my desire. That wasn't what I was seeking after. But that's, but that's the kind of love I have. And what I hope they experience is God's love through me. So think about this really quickly. Who in your life has played or is playing this role, right? And, and how did having somebody, a, a real mother and father loved or someone else who came around you and developed and built you up in Christ like this, what difference did it make in you? Normally, I'd let you share with each other, but that's a little hard. Yeah. Why don't you thank the Lord for them? Just take a minute to thank the Lord for them. Yeah, Lord, thank you for the people you place in our lives. Uh, to disciple us, to bless us, and to build us up. It really, it really makes a difference. We don't always thank them. I wrote, yeah, thank you for them and bless them in Jesus' name. Yeah, I, I was reminded of this earlier this week. I was in a training for new directors with InterVarsity, and I, um, we all kind of, we all find, found someone like that, and we sent them an email or a text thanking them. And so I texted the man who, who spent two years discipling me before I, Lori and I got married, just to thank him. Uh, for the time he spent uh, showing me God's love. Yeah. So, so let's go on. The second thing is that, is that um, not only did they love them, but they loved them by sharing not only the truth of God, but sharing their lives as well. Like, like they were there, they lived with them, they were real. Um, and it goes on, right? So verse eight says, we shared with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well, because you were precious to us. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so God, uh, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Um, they, they, they didn't just tell them about the love of God or encourage them to follow God. They lived with them. They built community with them, right? They spent time uh, and, uh, and, and like and effort and energy, um, showing them directly that this love was real. Uh, I, I, one of the things that I've, I've said often, and I'm learning more and more, um, the things that we've said for a long time as a, as a church 
um, science is now discovering. Ha, that's great, right? Um, and one of the big things is that God created our brains, or our brains are built for relationship, right? That's, I mean, that's like rocket science to a Christian, but, but for, but for um, you know, neurologists or whatever they call themselves, they're like, check this out. This is how the brain works, you know? Relationships trigger it, right? And help you grow, and that helps develop character. Um, but one of the things they would say is that it's, that the, but you don't, it, that's important to both experience, but also to know, and both are equally important, right? You can't just, your life is, your life is built on memories, and those memories are experiences that you've processed. And if you process those well, it's a, it's a good thing. If you haven't, it can be a bad thing. Um, and we respond, we act. Our character is built on those relationships, on those memories on those past experiences. Sometimes we respond poorly because someone hurt us in the past. Sometimes we respond maturely because we were in the presence of people who truly loved us and showed us how to grow, right? Um, so super cool. My thing just zipped all the way to the front again. Why did it do that? That was really weird. Um, but, but you see that um, that's something that, that we're learning and, it's, and we know it's important. I, another way I've said this is it means very little if I tell my wife I love her but never show her, right? That's true. Everybody knows that. Relationships require both the truth expressed and, and experienced in order for it to be real. And when that happens, that transforms and changes people's lives. Um, uh, 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 one of the things, like, it's really important. I, some of you have heard this, and it's been around since the mid-2000s, uh, so probably 15 years is a term we, we use, belonging before believing. You guys heard that before? So it was coined by, by a friend and a fellow staff worker named Rick Richardson. Uh, he now is uh, an evangelist with the Billy Graham Center in Wheaton. And what he, what he said was he basically understood that people today um, are more likely to join us on our spiritual journey, right, um, than to respond to high-pressure conservative sales pitches, right, as in, you know, what would you do if you die? Where would you go if you died today? Ever heard that one? It's a way to get people to believe in Jesus, right? They're more, that they're more eager, people are more eager to hear the Bible's grand story than dogmatic statements into which that story has been abstracted by theologians and that they need to not just hear about it, but to experience that as well in relationship with us, right? Um, that's where that belonging before believing comes from. Um, yeah. So, so these two ideas, right? Uh, he treated them with love like a parent, basically loving them with God's love. And he shared with them uh, not only the good news, but his whole life so that they could not only hear about the love of God, but personally experience it in relationship with each other. Now, um, students experience love in this kind of community. That's what every campus ministry is built on. Every campus ministry, campus crusade, right? Chi Alpha, intervarsity. Yes, we proclaim the truth, but we do it in the context of community. They build loving community that the students are a part of. Um, and in that, hopefully they're nourished, encouraged, exhorted, and raised up to become who God created them to be. Right? Um, and I've been working on staff for over 20 years and seeing this happen. Uh, and I do it because that's the experience I had, which I'll share more of later. And that's the experience that I see students have over and over and over again. But to make this more fun, I asked Adele and her friend Jean if they would come up, and, and I was going to ask them some questions. You guys up, still up for this? Can we put this mic on? 
So we'll start with Adele. You worried? A little. A little. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing this summer, just briefly. Um, well, oh, um, me and Jean here, and then also Grace and Brooke in the back. We are uh, camp counselors at Lake Wabisa Bible Camp. Um, we've been there for about a month, just um, living together, eating together, worshiping together. No, no, no children? Oh, yeah, we also <laughs> minister to children. I forgot about them. Um, <laughs> please don't fire me. Um, yeah, we just we work with children, we have fun, and we praise Jesus. Yeah. So Adele, um, how have you experienced the love of God uh, at camp this summer? Well, I think that going to public school and being a teenager nowadays, I don't have a lot of Christian friends my age. Um, and the ones I do, are, we're not as close as we used to be. But going to camp and meeting Grace and Brooke are both my age. We're all, we all graduated and having someone who's my age, who has my same experiences. Me and Grace went to the same school. Um, it really just was like, um, it was like, there are other teenagers out there who are going through what I'm going through and who are still, you know, who God is still working through them. And, Jean here is um, a couple of years older than us, and she's just been a gift to me, especially because she's so smart, and she's um, she's so she's so good with words, and um, she's kind of like I don't want to say she's a mentor to me, but I'd say like an older sister because she always knows what to say, and when I'm in trouble or I'm like Jean, what do I do? She has the exact right words to say. And so just the commute, like the love of God has been shown to me through the people I've met and the experiences I've had. So help us a little bit. What do you, there? I know there's some older people at camp, right? What role have they played in your... So um, we call them our year-round staff because they live there all year. Um, and they kind of are like our mentors and they are our guides. They um, they help everything run smoothly and like the logistical stuff. But spiritually, um, we all have a one-on-one -on -one partner. So every week we meet with them and we connect and they ask us, you know, how are your spiritual goals going? What do you need um, from me? Do you need prayer for anything? Um, and they lead us in worship after the kids are all gone. Um, we take communion together every week. How do you know they love you? They just, I just know it. Like I can tell that through their actions and their words and through the way I feel when I'm with them, that they love me and they want the best for me and they want me to become the person that God wants me to be. Thanks. Good. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Jean. So Jean, introduce yourself and uh, tell people a little bit about who you are. Um, yeah, so I'm Jean. Uh, I am going to be a senior in college at Edgewood. Um, and I'm going to school for nursing. Um, what else do you want me to tell them about <laughs> your connection with FCBC? Um, so this last year we used, uh, 
FCBC as our worship space for um, for Badger Crew because because of COVID and the pandemic and everything, back in August, we had a really hard time finding a space that would let us use it to um, to practice our music for um, for Badger Crew. And because it was some of our stuff was online, we were also recording our our sets for the week and we were putting it in a video for our weekly meetings for Badger Crew. Um, and we we reached out to basically every church possible in Madison and. Um, FCBC was available on the night that we needed it, and they were like, we would love to to let you use this space. And so it was really a blessing um, that we were able to use this, because otherwise we would have been recording our music and like practicing and worshiping the Lord in um, the basement of one of our friend's houses, which, you know, you can do that, but it was definitely easier and a lot nicer to be able to use this space. So. Yeah. Thanks. So, Gene, tell us a little bit about like how you've experienced the love of God through crew you've been at Edgewood? Yeah, so um, my freshman year of college, going into Edgewood, I I was commuting because I only lived 20 minutes outside of Madison. And so it was really hard for me to meet people at first because I wasn't living in the dorms, and I basically just went to class and then went home. Um, but then one of my friends from high school told me about Eagle Crew, which is Edgewood's, like, crew, which is also connected with Badger Crew. Um, but... One of my friends told me about Crew and said, hey, you should come to our first Bible study and you should come to our first Badger Crew meeting that's going to be at the Upper House over on East Campus Mall. Um, and she texted me anytime they had any sort of event. Even if I couldn't go, she'd say, hey, are you free tonight? We're having this thing. Um, and at first I was like, oh, I don't know that I want to go by myself and meet like new people. How do I do that? Um, and, and so finally I went to the first Badger Crew meeting that they had at the Upper House and everybody there was so welcoming. They're like, "Hi, who are you? Like, what's your name? Um, what are you going to school for?" And every week that I went, I just met new people, and some of the same people that I'd met initially then, like, wanted to build relationships with me and say, "Hey, like, let's get coffee. I want to know about you and your story, and like, how you know Jesus." And um, and so I really just got pulled in and joined a Bible study with Eagle Crew on Edgewood's campus and then became a part of Badger Crew on UW-Madison's campus and just felt truly loved by people always texting me, asking, hey, like, can we get coffee? Like, how can I be praying for you? How can I pour into you? Um, and then we also have, like, kind of a one-on-one -on -one thing that, um, like, that we do at camp, but we call it discipleship. And so, um, for all of the new people in crew, they always try to pair them up with some someone who's been in crew for a while to disciple them. Um, and so my freshman year of college, one of my, my friend from high school actually was my discipler. Um, and so we met weekly, and she, um, we would go over different passages in the Bible or like different um, devotional things. And she would always ask how she could be praying for me, and um, she would. Like, if she knew that I was having a bad day, like, she'd bring me, um, like, candy or something to cheer me up. And she always just went out of her way to really love me and ask me any, ask me if I needed anything and, um, and just was always so loving to me. Um, and so having community in Badger Crew really, like, pulled me back towards Jesus because I kind of had a hard time in high school with some stuff when my parents separated for a while and got back together and made some poor choices. So having that community to keep me accountable um, and point me continuously back towards Jesus and to show me what the love of Jesus looked like was really awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks to both of you. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I don't, I don't know about you, but many of us may have had similar experiences in college. 
uh, those of the older ones, of course, have graduated. And I hope some of you who are younger do when you go to school as well. Uh, Adele said to me, I wasn't so sure I wanted to get involved with a Christian group on campus, but after this summer, I'm pretty sure I do now. I, I hope that's okay. I outed you there. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, we can think back on the experiences we had, uh, whether in college or in high school, where we experienced a love of God in this kind of community and the impact it's had on our faith and be thankful for it, right? Uh, and just thank the Lord again that he showed his love and that we were able to experience it firsthand through others. Um, and even for those who are called to be mothers and fathers, right? So this is kind of where it gets for us. So what does this mean for us as a church? We've been talking about this for so long. I keep hearing this over and over again. This word that we're called to be mothers and fathers. Well, that's difficult when we don't have a lot of kids, right? So, um, but we do. We, it's something that we're called to. And we also have, like, community is in our DNA. We really are a community church. We really care about this thing. And we, we actually have, in the past and even now in the present, have have community that matters. So, so how can a small church like FCBC uh, help build a community where students can experience the love of God and the gospel? That's the question, right? So we're, I'm just going to give you a minute. We're just going to pray. Um, and you know what? I'm going to throw out a couple ideas later after that, some of the things that I've been thinking on, but this is stuff we need to continue to process and think about. That is a very interesting shot. Right there. So, so let's just take a minute to pray. Lord, sh- show us how a small church like FCBC can make an impact on a huge community like the UW-Madison. Amen. I, I, you know what? We'll open it up. We're small enough now. I'll just repeat back what I hear on the audience for people who are listening in. So, how can we, this small community, help build community with college students, right, where they can experience the love of God and the gospel? Free hot dog grilling. <laughs> Free hot dog grilling. Okay. We could do evangelistic outreach on campus. Just free hot dogs. Okay, we could just do free hospitality, right? Just free hot dogs. All right, that's good. What else? I don't care if the students answer. What would it? What could a church do? Yeah, like. Like, yeah, study nights. We could do some of the student events we used to do again. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a sacrifice, right? To make, to, to set time as part. To, uh, to be open to one-on-one relationships with students. If students come, or if you build a relationship through another means, you can always begin a relationship that could actually become a mentoring relationship with them. Right? Sharing the things that God has taught you through your life with them. That's a beautiful thing. Doug?
Yeah, so uh, Doug said, um, uh, the only thing about parents is that they're present. So if we could do something regularly in a consistent way where we were present for students, it might be an opportunity to create community and love them. Good. Uh, there's probably a lot of ideas. Like you can be thinking, let me throw a couple. Um, I think what we've been doing, we could do more of. Just continue to support the campus ministries. Uh, honestly, I mean, and of course I'm biased, right? I work with university. But the campus ministries are, are going to continue to be the best ways for students to encounter community, uh, the love of God, and hear the gospel. Now, they're, they're an anomaly. They're like age 18 to 23, right? That's it. Uh, with a few older people sprinkled in. That's what you always feel like. A little bit out of place, especially me now when I'm in those meetings. I feel like grandpa there sometimes. It's weird. <laughs> but the truth is, the truth is um, uh, that's a good place for the, for the gospel, but they need more, right? Um, so that's not it alone. So we can support them knowing that it's an important part of ministry and continue to open our space. Like, crew should know this is always open. I think Scott and the others know they just need to call us and ask. Um, you know, uh, continue to do what we do best, right? Who are we as a church? Um, interceding for the campus, doing prayer times. And even I thought about what if we open the campus up for another 24-7 prayer room? Uh, you know, um, and then um, there are probably a lot of other ways, but I think we need to continue to pray. I mean, Lori and I prayed, prayed for 10 years for children. Go ahead. Right, yeah. That's a good point. So how can we do things like share resources but also build relationships? I don't have an answer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so you said be, be attentive to the relationships we have with college students who maybe aren't in campus ministry? Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, a, there's another thing about presence, and we keep bringing this up and over, over and over again. I think some of us are going to have to move into the neighborhood. Honestly. I, and I don't, I'm not saying you. I was joking with Lori that I was going to start with a letter that the God had called us to move to the, camp, to the campus and that we, and he told us two other couples were going to join us and, and then wait for you all to stand up and <laughs> identify yourself. But she said, that wasn't fair. Don't do that. You know, I, it's not, but, but there is something to that, right? If you want to, if you want to have be neighbors, you have to be in the neighborhood. And that's something God is calling some of us to. I'm not saying everybody here, right? Please don't get that impression. It, you know, it, you, any, you can live anywhere in Madison or outside of Madison and be part of this church. Um, but some of us are going to be called to live down here. And even Lori and I have been talking and praying a lot about that possibility for us. So there's more. There's more. Here, let me share this quote from Henry Nowen, and then I'll pray to end. Uh, oh, I should tell my story, right? But, but um, let me share the story, and then I'll pray to end. So, so, so here I am right in the beginning. So I'm, I'm, I'm outside my my. my, uh, my uh, apartment. I'm feeling distant from God. I don't know what to do. Um, it wasn't long after that that I um, uh, 
that I needed a place to live. I decided to stay on campus uh, for that summer. I had, a, I had a, an internship with a local company in Bloomington. I went to IU, right? And then I needed a place to stay. And then after that, I, I needed a place for the next year. And uh, um, so I had this idea that God was really far away. Well, actually, he was like 10 feet away from me because the Campus Crusade staff lived across the hall from me in the apartments that I was in. So I, I, I remember seeing them at the pool one day and I was talking with them. And I said, I just kind of said, you know, hey, I need a place to stay. Do you know anyone who's looking for roommates? And, she, and they said, oh, yeah, there's this college pastor in a local church. He needs, he needs uh, they're looking, he's got a couple of rooms. He's wondering who would like to live with him. Well, I actually knew this guy, right? So I called him up. We weren't great friends. Um, and we, and he, uh, we arranged to, to, um, to meet together. And since I'd known him earlier when I was uh, in school, he'd started a, a college group at his church. And so I, I was living with him and these guys, and they were going to this group every like Wednesday night. So I started going with them too. Uh, and I didn't like it. I thought it was weird. I didn't like the, I thought the people were nice, but the, but the stuff just didn't work for me. The, the work, I didn't like the music. The message was boring, but, but I felt better after every meeting. And I couldn't figure this out, right? And, I, and I've told you this story before, but um, uh, there was a guy named Randy who was this big, Randy Bear was his name, who liked to give people bear hugs. And, and, uh, and he would he'd go, oh, brother Peter. And he'd come over with a big smile. He has this huge smile. He's always happy to see you, right? And he'd give you this big bear hug. And I always think like, this is so weird. Don't touch me, you know? <laughs> um, but after a while, I began, I, I, I began to realize like, like okay, I kind of liked it. I didn't tell anybody. I kind of liked it, you know. And, and what I really liked was I liked the people. Like, I really liked the people because they genuinely loved me. Like, again, I can't tell you why I knew it, but I knew it. They really liked me. Like, they were happy that I was there. Like, I, didn't, I didn't get that kind of, you know, feedback from my friends uh, that I would hang out most of the time. There wasn't that kind of, like, happy to see you, glad, even joy. And I think I started to experience some joy in my life as a result of that. I began to experience more peace and at some point in that school year, I came face to face with the fact that God wasn't far away. He was like standing right in front of me. So, and that was when I said, okay, you know, and I began uh, kind of renewed and really began my relationship with Jesus, which is why I do what I do today uh, and why I think we are still called to love the campus. So let me pray. Um, Lord, thank you for the calling that you placed on our church that see, feels impossible, but you're doing it. So show us the way forward. We don't know um, how it's going to work. So many different directions, so many people, but there's so much love, like, and it's you. So would you be present in us? Would you fill us? Would you help us first to love each other as a community, to experience your joy and your peace and your presence and your power amongst us so that then we can, with your help, take it to the neighborhood around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.